Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, I'm Michael Kingswood, and it's story time, and I'm late. <laughs> Very late with this, this week's episode, it's not last week's episode, technically, because it's the week has passed, but I'm still getting it in, and I'll get this next weekend's episode on time, I promise. But I won't waste any time with further things. Uh, you tuned in for the next two chapters of Outdweller, Glimmervale Chronicles, Glimmervale Chronicles, number two, written by me, read by Kevin Sapp, and let's get straight into it. Chapters 13 and 14 coming on right here, and I'll talk to you after the chapters on the flip side. 13. Comparing Notes That doesn't make any sense. Radrick snapped the words off quickly, but it sounded almost like he was trying to work himself through the notion more than he was trying to refute it. How would Ilsa be able to do that to Beverly, let alone Balin? She's not a big woman. I doubt she could lift an axe big enough to chop a body apart like that, let alone wield it effectively. Julian had to admit, he had a point. Ilsa was the prime suspect, from circumstance and motive, if for no other reason. But the method of the killings, that was troublesome. Maybe she hired someone, or she learned a little magic somewhere. What, like Melanie? Radrick shook his head and rested his palms on the top of his desk. They were back in their office. After leaving Helena, they had walked back to the constabulary, for lack of any better place to go as much as for the need to sit and think it through, and settled down into their respective seats. The brainstorming had gone downhill almost from the start. I truly doubt more than one Melanie will happen in any generation, Radrick said, to complete his thought. Well, I should hope not. Julian leapt out of his chair at the completely unexpected voice, which seemed to emanate from the air itself. Without thinking about it, he pulled his longsword from its scabbard and vaulted over his desk, landing on the balls of his feet in a ready stance. Across the room from him, Radrick had done similarly, except that he stood with most of his weight on his rear foot as he held his Tyrashi blade in both hands, with the sharp side of the blade pointing toward the ceiling and the hilt even with his right shoulder. Julian had never seen such a ready stance before. Where had Radrick learned it? He looked more closely at his friend and saw that his feet were positioned awkwardly, far enough apart that it would be difficult for him to move quickly, and his shoulders were very tense. It was almost like he was trying to force the stance, to merge himself into some form that he thought he should be taking. To match the sword? From sparring him, Julian knew that Radric, despite months of training with his new blade, still was not comfortable with it. He still wanted to revert to the movements and forms he knew and executed so well from his old saber. His moves, though improved, were awkward, like he was fighting himself. Before he accepted Selim's blade, Julian knew he would not have lasted a single pass in a duel with Radric. Now, and now Radric was a shadow of his former self, at best Julian's equal, but by no means the master he once had been. Radric flexed his fingers on the grip of his sword, his eyes glancing around the room nervously. 
How much of that nervousness came from his uncertainty with his weapon? Julian looked around the room and scowled. There was no one else here, so where did... Deep laughter emanated from out of nowhere, a vibrant chord that Julian recognized after a second or so. He should have known immediately who it was, but the shock of hearing that voice stopped his brain from working. He lowered his sword sheepishly and rose from his ready crouch. Damn it, Melanie! Her laughter only intensified as, off to Julian's left, in front of the cell block door, Melanie suddenly appeared in his view. She stood with her arms crossed over her breasts, shaking her head with a look of mocking amusement on her face. As always, she was dressed impeccably. Tonight, it was a deep, burgundy dress, and what Julian assumed was the same belt as before. She smirked at the pair of them. Honestly, boys, you are far too easy. Julian sheathed his sword. He put an extra little zip into the process at the end. The steel of his blade's hilt struck the metal mouth of his scabbard with a fair-sounding clack, and all the while he just glared at Melanie. She returned the glare with a sardonic look of her own. What do you think you're doing? Radric said sternly. He had also replaced his sword. He regarded her with his hands on his hips, looking for all the world like he was about ready to chew her a new one. Melanie shrugged slightly and said, calmly, Do calm down. She swayed over to one of the chairs that sat along the wall near the front door and settled down, taking a moment to smooth her skirts. I thought we could compare notes. Julian and Radric shared a look. The stern expression remained, but Radric looked puzzled now. I don't think so, Julian said. We're still in the middle of our investigation, and you're not... Involved? Melanie quirked an eyebrow archly. You seem to think I would become involved the other day. Julian rolled his eyes. Have you learned something that might help us find the killer? Radric cut straight to the point, at least. Melanie shrugged. Maybe, but I doubt it. She crossed her legs and leaned back in the chair. Not unless Lauren turns out to be the guilty party. I've been following his movements. Radric lost his stern expression, his mouth instead falling open in surprise. Julian felt poleaxed, though, of course, thinking about it, he really should not have been. Melanie had taken their warning and turned it on its head, taken the initiative to ferret out how much she needed to be concerned. That was laudable. But, still... That's a big risk, Julian said. If he caught you... He shook his head. Better to just stay clear of him. Melanie blew out a forceful snort that somehow managed to not seem at all unladylike. So he can ambush me at a time and a place of his choosing? She shook her head with vigor. I am quite capable of discretion, if you recall. Unless he were actively taking precautions against my techniques, and I assure you he did not, he would not notice if I was standing two feet in front of him. Julian frowned as he thought that over. Melanie's concealment spells were potent, he knew that for true. They were perhaps the primary reason the town won out over Eisenholf's brigands. But Lauren was a mage as well, and from what hints Melanie had dropped, probably much more skilled than she. Somehow, Julian was not so certain he was as oblivious as she claimed, or hoped. All the same, Lauren had been acting strangely. Julian glanced over at Radric and shrugged his shoulders. The die was cast. Might as well make use of the result. Radric sighed again and nodded. Then he settled back down into his desk chair. Tell us. He has crisscrossed the town over the last couple days and performed a number of detection rituals. She held up a forestalling hand at Julian, no doubt seeing the sudden flash of alarm that shot through him. Not the sort that would have detected my spell. 
something else. She frowned slightly, shaking her head. I did not recognize the specifics of the ritual, just enough to know that it was meant to find something or someone. Who or why, I can only speculate upon. However, she leaned forward and looked meaningfully at both of them, he went by Beverly and Helena's house this morning, and was in the midst of setting up another ritual when their landlord chased him away. Lauren's presence at their flat was hardly surprising. The fact that he was preparing a spell, though... And then what? Then, Melanie said, then he walked into the woods past the ranger station to a clearing with a large boulder. The place you found Balin, yes? Julian and Radric both nodded, soundlessly. Melanie returned the nod with a look of satisfaction. He performed his ritual again. This time he seemed quite a bit more excited, as though his results were different than at the other locations. Whatever he is looking for, I would wager it has something to do with your killings. We knew he went to Beverly and Helena's. We bumped into him on the street, and he said it was just idle curiosity. Melanie smirked at Julian's words and gave a little shake of her head. Lauren Havisted does not engage in idle curiosity. There is a purpose to his every action. Radric looked levelly at Melanie for a moment before speaking slowly, his tone chilly. You didn't tell us you knew him. You did not ask, did you? Radric just looked at her, accusation in his eyes. Finally, after what seemed a much longer moment than it probably was, she rolled her eyes and raised her hands in supplication. Fine, fine. I know him. Or rather, I know of him, and I am very glad that he does not know me. Her expression darkened, something like pain or fear, flashing across her face before she schooled herself to calm. You recall the hypothetical mage we discussed when we first met? How could they forget? It had not taken long for Julian to puzzle out that Melanie was a mage and bugger the restrictions against women studying at the Magisterium. One five-minute conversation, really. And when it became clear how overmatched the town was against Eisenhof's brigands, he and Radric had sought her out for support. She had alluded to the possibility of a hypothetical mage and a hypothetical woman falling in love, and him sharing the magisterium's secrets with her. But she had not elaborated. I remember. Timon, you said his name was, Julian said, with no small amount of apprehension. For some reason, he was not sure he wanted to hear this part of her story. Melanie nodded and flashed the barest hint of an approving smile before replying. Lauren is a vigilant, one of the Magisterium's inquisitors. Inquisitors? I haven't heard of them before, Radric said, one eyebrow quirking upward. And you would not have. They are the Magisterium's internal police force, and rarely interact with the uninitiated on official business. That little smile faded into a scowl. Vigilant Havisted was the one who led the investigation into Timmons' impropriety. She shuddered visibly and looked away from them, off into space. I do not know how long they tortured him before the end, but I do know he did not betray his secrets, at least not the ones he kept closest to his heart. How do you know that? Melanie gave Julian a direct look, one filled with suppressed pain that was eclipsed by a deep and abiding anger because I am still alive. Her lips compressed for a moment, and then, with the brush of her hand through her hair, the deep emotions were gone, replaced by her normal, slightly sardonic half-smile. So, she clasped her hands together and leaned forward slightly. Ilsa? She shook her head. 
she's not the murdering type. Julian had to do a double take, quick as her demeanor changed. Glancing over at Raedric, he got a cocked eyebrow in return, followed by a quick shrug of the shoulders before Raedric answered. You knew her well? Melanie shook her head again. Not really. She came into the shop once or twice, looking for some home remedies. Although... She frowned slightly and tapped the tip of her index finger against her lips as she paused, considering her words for a moment. A couple weeks ago, she alluded to having a more difficult problem she might need help with, but it never went any further than that. An unfaithful husband is a difficult problem, Julian said. Melanie shrugged slightly. Don't know what she would have expected me to do about that. No, more likely it was one of the children, runny bowels for an excessive duration or something. Julian coughed into his hand. That was not the direction he wanted the conversation to turn. Melanie shot him an amused glance. So, Balin was cheating and she killed him for it, and Beverly as well? She shook her head again, her face doubtful. I don't see it. We know he was unfaithful, Radric said. Do you? He exchanged a semi-confused look with Julian. Helena said so, and Ilsa more than implied it. Melanie spread her hands as though to say, if you say so, but she still looked doubtful, either about the infidelity or the murder plot, or both. And Julian had to admit she had a point. All they had was implication from the wife and hearsay from the sister. Though, why would Beverly lie to Helena about that? But that would not be enough to bring before the judge. If they had some proof... Helena said Balin had some sort of hideaway out in the woods, and that's where they met. Julian looked over at Radric and leaned forward. Maybe there's something there that can shed some more light on what was going on. Radric frowned, chewing at his lip for a moment. Then he nodded. True, but do you have the first idea where to look for it? No. Before heading out to the site of Balin's murder, Julian had never set foot in the Glamourwood. He would not have a clue where anyone... But then he did not have to. But I think I know who would. 14. Booze and Blood Julian expected Melanie to make more of a fuss, so he was surprised when her only response to his suggestion that she not accompany he and Radric was to arch an eyebrow at him and say, Of course. He just stared at her in silence for a moment. He had carefully prepared arguments ready to use about how it would be best if she were not visibly associated with this case, since Lauren was apparently so interested in it. And maybe she should keep up the disappearing trick she pulled the last couple days just in case. But with her ready agreement, the arguments all fell out from the bottom of his brain. Melanie stood and walked toward the door, shaking her head slightly. It's better if I not stick my neck out. Lauren does not appear to be looking for me after all, but that doesn't mean I should bring attention to myself. And then she left their office. As the door swung shut behind her, Radric said, Well, that was easy. He sounded as surprised as Julian felt. Yeah. Radric stood up. Where are we going, then? I figure if anyone knows where Balin's hideout is, Dewey does. Julian took a moment to adjust his sword belt, then set out for the door. I heard him saying he was going for a drink at Holb's Tavern after Balin's funeral. Could be they'll know where to find him there. Radric blanched visibly. Holb's Tavern was similar to the Orlock in that they both served ale. Aside from that, though, 
While the Orlock was really an inn with a spacious taproom and well-run kitchens, Holbes was almost literally a hole in the wall. The building it resided in was at one point in time an armory, or so some of the oldsters in Lyttelton told Julian. Sitting on the western edge of town, a block and a half from the last of the finger piers that jutted into Lake Glimmermere, the building was squat, long, and narrow, painted a deep red that was nearly black and steadily falling past ill-kept toward dilapidated. Down near the end of the building, furthest from the center of town, a twenty-foot section of the outer wall had been removed, and a wide awning installed that extended a good thirty feet out from the side of the building. The bar took up the entire length of the building, where the wall used to be, and the serving area was a paved expanse beneath the awning. That awning served as the tavern's main shelter from the elements. Julian would have thought Holb would close up shop when it got cold because of that, but apparently he had canvas sides that laced in place around the awning. Those, combined with braziers inside, made the tavern pleasantly warm. Supposedly. I can't believe so many people frequent this place, Radric said as the two of them came to a halt in front of the old armory. Indeed, a fair-sized crowd was already gathered, in spite of the relatively early hour. It was just getting toward dinner time, and Holbes did not serve food, only drink. About two dozen men, and a few women as well, mostly fishing men and laborers of other stripes from the look of them, drank and laughed in the serving area, though their laughter was a bit less raucous than usual, and several of the faces in the crowd had a strained look that even the flush of drink could not mellow. Even here, there was fear. Julian smirked at Radric's remark. It can be an entertaining place. Radric just snorted, a look of distaste on his face. Apparently, he still felt the sting from his last visit. Julian led the way into the serving area, slipping past a group of men who were crowded around a table where a pair of particularly burly fellows were engaged in an arm-wrestling contest. They were quite enthusiastic in cheering on their favorite contestant, and from the way the men's arms were shaking, it looked like they had been at it for a while. Julian chuckled and turned away. A moment later, groans of chagrin mixed with cheers of triumph as the contest ended. Julian strode up to the bar and smacked his hand down flat on it. The bar was not polished or stained. It was bare wood, pine, he presumed, though he could not tell from looking at it, and sanded to a smooth texture. Stains from multiple mugs and glasses and crude, and rude, drawings and writings of all sorts marred its surface, giving it a strangely homey look. The man behind the bar was anything but. Tall with shoulders that dwarfed those of the bulkiest man in the tavern, he had a square face that seemed locked into a sour expression behind a thick, black beard. Julian supposed his hair would have matched his beard if he had any, but his head was completely bald, as though he shaved it regularly instead of his face. He had dark brown eyes that twinkled with intelligence and irritation, and he wore a stained white apron over a light blue, almost gray shirt and black pants. A puckered scar crossed his forehead from just over his left eyebrow to his left ear, and that ear had a little notch cut out of it. Julian had never heard how Holb got that scar. The one time he asked Holb about it, he received only a sour grunt in response, and no more drink that evening. Holb scowled a greeting at Julian, but when his eyes moved from Julian to Radric, the scowl became a near-feral growl, complete with baring of teeth. Whoa, take it easy, Holb, Julian said quickly. We come in peace. He looked back at Radric, who was returning the hostile look in kind, and amended, He comes in peace. He looked back at Holb and put on a winning grin, raising his hands in a gesture that he hoped was placating. Just have a couple questions. 
For a few seconds, Holb just stared daggers at Raedric. The area became hushed as the patrons around them sensed the tension between the two men. The silence grew quickly until it encompassed the entire serving area. Everyone, and Julian did not stop to look, but he was absolutely certain everyone in the area, was staring at them in hushed anticipation. The last time Raedric came here, he had somehow managed to insult Holb's wife. Julian had no idea how. He had never seen Raedric behave any way except chivalrously. But somehow he had managed it, and Holb had personally come over the bar and thrown Raedric out of his place. Julian had not seen it, but rumors were Holb did it with embarrassing ease. Whatever the truth of the incident was, and he never spoke of it, Raedric had moved rather stiffly for the next few days, and he had never returned to Holb's tavern. Julian fervently hoped there was not going to be a repeat this evening. Finally, Holb nodded, ever so slightly. He snorted Raedric's way, then turned his full attention on Julian. Softly, almost imperceptibly, it seemed the entire population of customers and serving girls let out a breath they had all been holding. Julian found that he did the same. He cleared his throat and put his smile back on. Two pints of ale, please, Holb. Holb's scowl intensified again. Okay, just one. He waited until the barkeep brought his drink, then plunked down payment and took a swig before speaking again. Have you seen Dewey around? Holb cocked his head to one side, and his bushy eyebrows rose slightly. What you want with him? Julian took another drink and paused, looking down at the mug. It was good. Damn good. You using a new formula? Holb shrugged ever so slightly and grunted in reply. Julian could not be sure, but it almost looked like he may have slightly smiled for a second. Just experimenting. Well, that's pretty damn tasty. Holb's head dipped ever so slightly in acknowledgement. His brow furrowed a bit. Get to the point, constable. Right. Julian took another sip. We need to ask Dewey a few questions about Balin, part of the investigation. Holb's brow furrowed even more as his scowl deepened. He's not in trouble or anything. We thought he could help us out is all. The big barkeep glowered for a long, silent moment. Then he shrugged and turned away. He walked over to where one of his serving girls waited, then proceeded to fill several mugs from one of the kegs behind the bar. He placed them on her tray, and she departed. Julian could not help but follow her with his eyes. Holb's girls always wore the most appealing outfits. Tight in just the right areas, but not so much as to do more than tease. It made for a good sight. Holb's big, beefy hand slapped down on the bar next to Julian, and he jumped ever so slightly as he turned to look back at the big bartender. Big space, said Holb. Julian nodded. Thanks. Holb just grunted. Bigsby's boarding house lay on the north side of town, only two blocks away from Julian and Radric's office. Two stories tall, it boasted twelve small rooms on the upper level, a small common area on the ground floor that held a couple bookshelves, a quartet of chairs, and a small writing desk, and a common bathhouse and privy in the rear. Julian had visited the place on two previous occasions to mediate minor squabbles between a few of the tenants and found it relatively clean and well cared for, as boarding houses went. Madeline Bigsby, the proprietoress, held court from a small office near the front of the common area. But when Julian and Radric walked in the stout wooden double doors at the front of the building, she was nowhere to be seen. Small wonder, considering the hour, she had family to attend to, after all. Isn't there a night attendant? 
Julian sniffed in amusement at Raedric's words and almost voiced a bitingly sarcastic repost, but looking at him, he was still perturbed from their interaction with Holb. So Julian let it lie. Mostly. It's not an inn, Ray. I know that, but if she's going to leave the place unlocked, someone ought to keep an eye out. Keep thieves from making off with her books, if nothing else. Fair point. Julian shrugged and poked his head into the little office. It was just large enough to contain a stout wooden desk and chair, a trio of narrow cabinets that Madeline used for storing files, and a strongbox. The chair was pulled back from the desk as though someone had gotten up from it quickly. Adding to that impression, a cup of dark fluid, tea probably, sat on the blotter. Steam was still rising from the cup, and some of the tea had splashed out onto the blotter. Julian frowned. It looks like they left in a hurry. He looked back at Radric. His friend returned his frown and loosened his sword in its sheath. Something's not right here. Look sharp. They separated by a few paces and advanced through the common room to the passageway leading toward the bathhouse. Just outside the common room, on the left, a narrow set of stairs led up to the level above. Radric took the stairs two at a time, and Julian followed, a gnawing sense of dread in his gut that got more pronounced by the second. The stairs ended at a small landing, then bent back on themselves before reaching the doorway to the second floor. They had just reached the landing when a soft sound, like a groan, reached Julian's ears. He froze, drawing his sword and waiting, listening for another sign. After a dozen or so seconds of silence, he glanced at Radric, who wore a mask of grim focus. Then another sound, breaking glass. Their eyes met, and Julian saw the same resolve and dread as he felt himself. Not again. The two men burst into the second-floor corridor and looked quickly left and right. The stairs lay in the center of the building. In either direction were three pairs of doors, across the corridor from each other. Small oil lamps in wall sconces provided illumination that was just a bit better than twilight, but that was enough to see a figure lying prone near the farthest pair of doors to the left. Son of a bitch! Julian said as he sprinted down the corridor to the downed figure, Radric at his side. They pulled up short and saw immediately that the prostrate person was dead. Her, and it was a she, a once very pretty she too, head was twisted completely around so her glazed, lifeless eyes looked up at the ceiling despite the fact that her body lay on its belly. Son of a bitch, Julian repeated more loudly and squatted down next to the dead girl. Julian! He looked up at Radric, and his friend nodded at the right-hand side door. It lay a couple inches ajar, and a cold breeze wafted into the hallway, carrying an unmistakable and recognizable stench. Julian's blood, already cold from finding the body, went like icy water, and that sense of dread returned threefold. The scene inside the room was every bit as bad as Julian feared, and every bit the same as before. The room was maybe ten feet square, with room for a bed and a desk and a small cabinet. The entire room was covered in blood, from floor to ceiling. Body parts were strewn everywhere, but mostly lay on the bed. As before, it was difficult to tell which part was which, except for the head, resting atop the cabinet and staring at the scene in abject horror. Julian recognized Dewey's face immediately. The room's lone window was shattered, only a few shards of glass still remaining in its pane. The drapes wafted in the chilly nighttime breeze lazily. For a moment, Julian found himself focusing on that motion to the exception of everything else, a single point of normalcy in the insanity of the scene. 
and then Radric was past him and peering about through the window. He hissed. Julian hurried over and looked down. It took a short while to make out anything in the darkness. There. Julian followed his friend's outstretched finger and squinted. There was nothing. Wait. In the shadows between two adjacent buildings, something was moving. Hurrying away from Bigsby's, but not running. That would draw attention. The figure kept to the shadows, moving furtively until it reached the street. It turned left and vanished from sight. But just before that happened, the light from a street lamp cast details on the figure. Short, with dark hair, and wearing dark robes. And carrying a large staff. Julian felt his eyes growing wide. Okay, it appears we might have identified our culprit. Knew that guy was up to no good. But you can't know, unless you read the rest of the book. Or, you know, make it up yourself. But you can't do that, because I already wrote it. So... Come back next week and we'll talk uh, about what goes on. And then you get to listen to the next two chapters. Or you can go to the website, ssnstorytelling.com, buy the book in any format you like, including this audio version. And uh, you can get ahead of us and figure out what's going on. And then move on to the future books in the Glimmervale series, of which I am currently involved in number six. And... Uh, that's going to be fun for you and for me to get all that out. Anyway, um, but if you can't do that, if you're unwilling or don't have the bucks, by all means, come back next week and, you know, life is good. Uh, but tell everybody you know how cool the story is, what the awesome stuff we do around here is, and how much you like it. Because you do, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be coming back. And, uh, yeah, I'll catch you back here next year. And just sure, like, subscribe. What? There's so many different sites this goes to. Subscribe to the podcast, like the channel, do whatever, wherever it is you are, and uh, come back next week, and we'll talk again. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com, where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mailing list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>